Thank you very much. I think it was too much to <laughs> of a presentation, but uh, very simply, I am. Um, I would like to thank you for inviting me for this, what you call keynote. It's a big word, keynote. <laughs> but uh, I am uh, very glad and uh, grateful to Bob and all the people who decided to take the risk of inviting me. <laughs> I took it uh, as usual as a way for me to learn, to discover, to encounter people. And uh, the team was something which uh, is very important in my life, history. And what I will do is not to lecture or give you a comprehensive presentation, but just share with you some, uh, some experience, interrogations. But basically my encounter with history and the questions I met, which are still questions on which I, have, I don't have final answer. Uh, so since the time is short, I will just uh, start speaking on the issue. But uh, as usual, for me, and I mean for you, I quote an uh, African proverb which says that uh, when you make a speech, feel pity for those listening. <laughs> but uh, I hope you will feel pity for me with speaking to you. So let us do it. So uh, my, uh, what I would like to talk is really my encounter with history. It started... Uh, very early, it started with the history of my country and my people because I come from Senegal, a former French colony. And the colonialism and the colonial domination was a very strong, uh, interesting experience of memory and history. And from that time, uh, one first uh, thing came out very strongly in my mind and my life. I lived a dual, uh, a dual uh, storytelling. One was the history of my people, the traditional history of Senegal, which I listened to every evening when I go back home with the traditional storytellers, those who are the call in Senegal, the griot. They have the memory of uh, our people, our families. And also in the evening, the way our parents were telling us the story of our family, our people, teaching us or uh, sensitizing us to spirituality, religion, everything. That was the main uh, experience, first one. The second one is when we get out of home, went to the French school. There, we, have, we are exposed to the French story. The French history of, the, of France where the main feature was uh, really to talk to us about uh, people we never know, we never met, we never heard about. And the main point was for us to integrate those figures, those, those heroes, uh, those kings, and to make them our own, so that we can become very, very good uh, French. The second dimension now of the French teaching history, we were exposed for years, was a complete denigration and denial of our own traditional history. That we don't have any history and that really the French colonialism was a kind of an exercise in civilization. So from there, uh, one thing came out 
for many of us uh, African uh, intellectual militants, uh, we started to characterize uh, colonialism and French domination, and we use a word called four, four M, 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 like Michael, to characterize and really give you the, uh, the real picture of what we felt as what colonialism and domination and the attempt to wipe out our memory was. So the four M's are the first M and they are chronological. The first, the first uh, M is the missionary because the first person who landed in Senegal was a missionary. They came with the crooks to sell us. Uh, we came for civilization and you are destroy your, your, your small gods, your statues. <clears throat> Christ and Jesus are the one you are now going to, to believe in, the missionary. And the speech was that we are all brothers. <clears throat> After the missionary, you had the military. The military is the one who was taking care of uh, our compliance with what the missionary told us, to obey, to put order. And the third M now is a merchant. The merchant, in fact, is the one who is uh, in charge from the French side to reshape our mentality, our culture, our way of life, our beliefs. And he was the one who was telling us, don't wear this African boo-boo, take the costume with a tie, etc. Don't eat with your hand, use the spoon, etc. Do this and do that. The merchant to fill our mind very much. But the last M for us was the most dangerous one, is what we call the memorialist. The memorialist had the mandate to really shape profoundly our inner life and our inner memory. It was the one who had the mandate, and in the memorialist as a concept, you have the historian, you have the teacher, the one who was teaching us every day in the school. You have uh, people writing literature, all the lit French literature you were asked to, to, to know and to read. He's the one who was really in charge of shaping our inner life and our culture, our mind. And uh, for us, it was the most dangerous one. And I repeat, inside that memorialist, the history, historian was included. He was the one in charge of uh, telling us whenever there is a, a revolt and a repression from the French army to tell us, no, this is not a repression. It is a law and order exercise. We are just making order. It is not, uh, the killing is not for killing. It is just to keep you in shape and to obey what the colonial power was, uh, was saying. And it is really the one uh, which we have retained as a, as a figure. So that was my, my first strong encounter with, uh, with history, the dual storytelling, the dual narrative. So I walk through this uh, primal experience, but I must say that the one which was the most profound was our traditional, very simply because the French history, we, we learn it in school, in the books, but the traditional history was permeating all our life when we leave school, all our life 
when we go back to the family, our society, marriage, whatever. It was there around our trees, our gods. It was a, It is really the one which very profoundly impregnated us. And I come from a country, Senegal, which has a, a very strong culture, a very strong traditional cultural identity, vibrant, very living. And uh, the French uh, history was something which we, we got because we had to learn it. But the, our traditional story was the one which is more profoundly shaped us. So I went to France with that uh, experience to, to study uh, at the university. And I went to France because I was a laureate of the General Concours of Philosophy of Senegal. General Concours was something which was not for all Senegalese to compete with the French, and I, I got the prize. So I got a, a fellowship to go to, to France to, 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 for the university. And there, my second experience of history uh, came out very, very interestingly, in the sense that I went to France at the time of the struggle for uh, liberation from colonialism. And it was a time of very strong uh, intellectual vibration and the creation, writings. So the intellectual front of uh, combating uh, colonialism was very strong in Paris at the time. And in this front, the history, the writing and the teaching of history, the one we bought from Senegal, was very important and the one we found also in, um, in France. So it was very interesting for us with that kind of dual experience I, I describe to try to go through in the, in the territory of the empire, French empire, at the middle of it, where we are overwhelmed completely by, by, the, by the French identity and history. But as I said, it was a time of struggle against colonialism, so a time of a very strong intellectual um, uh, creativity and resistance. So that was my second experience. And from this second experience, I draw one lesson which I want to share with you, that immediately one of our key concepts we use to combat colonialism, intellectual colonialism was the notion that uh, history is a construction because the history which was being told to us, we taught to us, was a construction, uh, a bricolage, uh, in which, you know, the, the history, ways of life, memory of the communities were dominated by France were completely sidelined and forgotten. The central uh, approach was silence and invisibility. Silence on our history, our local history, our, our people, our countries, and invisibility, social, economic, and political invisibility. So we had to fight back to fight this silence uh, and, uh, and invisibility and try to promote inside the French territory at the heart of the empire our, our intellectual, religious, spiritual, military figures, those who have been resisting in Africa for centuries, domination, etc. So it was a very exciting moment. But the one central lesson, which is my first thing I would like to share with you, is a profound understanding 
First, a strong love for history, because we knew that history is at the heart of identity, our identity, but also in the French identity. But we knew that the history of France, which was being imposed to us, was really a construction, a bricolage, where, as I said, some our histories have been silenced, and the French history figures, wars, whatever, were absolutely uh, promoted very strongly. So that point is very important after in my life, the understanding that history is a field of combat, of struggle. That it is not something which is completely objective. That you have to conquer is a space in the way uh, national history is, is being taught. And we understood something which has been very instrumental, important for all of us, is that uh, history is a construction, certainly, but a plural construction that the history of a nation, a country, is really valid and objective when it, it includes the history of the different communities, members of the same nation, whatever. And secondly, we realize, and this also is a point, I think, on which we can discuss, and I'm sure many of you have been uh, working, researching. We understood and we wrote about it that the notion of a nation state, which was very strong in the 19th and 20th century, nation state, was the concept which is really at the heart of this uh, manipulation of history and memory. And that the concept of nation step as it was practiced in France and European nations was a concept which uh, uh, was built up, constructed in such a way that the identity and the concept of identity emerged very strongly of the nation is the identity of a group. Uh, racially speaking, white, religiously speaking, Christian, and culturally speaking. That notion state. But what was interesting is that we understood both that, that concept of nation state, nation state was a kind of little concept. That most of our problem came from this conception that there is a nation whose identity is, has been framed forever based on the ethnicity, religion, and culture of a group. But very interestingly, we draw also the, the, the very profound uh, uh, perception of the issue of identity. Identity. Certainly, when we, we encounter the French and the Europeans, the encounter was a clash of identity, no doubt. In this clash of identity, memory and history were important. But when we went to Europe to study, we really faced it. In a, very, in, a very, in a very strong way. And some, another concept emerged very importantly, the notion that identity also is a construction, but that identity is a process, a process of encounter, of encounter of different memories, different culture, different people, different religions. And it is through this encounter, these interactions, of a multicultural setting that the, the true identity of a nation should be, should be shaped up. So that was also something important for us because we were in a, con in a context where 
the notion of uh, multiculturalism and pluralism was, was denied. So we had to fight for that, and our fight was really to, and this is something we introduce in our, our experiment of history, the tension between identity and diversity. The notion of diversity was something which was antithetical anti to, the, to the French and European civilization. And the third concept now, which was very interesting and touch on our perception and the practice of history, was this very concept of civilization. Because it was the one which uh, has been uh, flagged when we met first, we came to civilize you. And when we went to Paris, uh, it was full there. So we had to challenge that notion. And in that challenge and the deconstruction of, uh, of uh, civilization, because we had to do it to survive, to say who we are. <laughs> that we are here, yeah, certainly part of the French Empire, but we are Senegalese uh, from Indochine, from uh, Madagascar, from uh, Caribbean, etc. We want to be part of this, uh, this national setting. And that civilization, as it is being plugged and promoted, was one of the source of, of, of most of our problems and the denial of our identity and most of the violence we have been facing for for centuries. So we engaged the, the combat on that uh, concept of civilization. And their history has been very important also as a tool to push our own history and challenge uh, the history which was being imposed to us. And it was interesting because we, we, we realized that uh, the way our history and memory have been denied in the colonial empire there in Africa, was in the French setting the same process for which the French Republic was denying the history, memory, and culture of the French uh, uh, groups, different communities from Bretagne, from Normandy, from different people. You know, the French is a very centralized account in terms of not only political, politically speaking, but culturally speaking. And the uh, uh, local languages were absolutely uh, 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 not allowed to flourish. And evidently the memory and the history of those communities, which they have, they had this story, was absolutely not part of the national uh, storytelling and the narrative, the French narrative. So it was very interesting for us and a lesson because it was when we realized that the, we have some, uh, some uh, intellectual friends in the, historic, in the community of historians and thinkers and philosophers. And uh, because some French intellectuals have been like Jean-Paul Sartre, has been also challenging this imperial view of history and this construction and Jean-Paul Sartre says something which I share with you, which has very much uh, nourished our combat. He said something I tried to translate from France, French, French. He said that, I quote, the importance is not what history has made of us, but what we are making of what history has made of us. Which means that history is not a fatality. That we are not... Uh, just the product of history, automatic product, and uh, we will just like zombie, 
follows a path which has been shaped for our identity, our thinking, our mindset. That we have to make something about it. This was the first uh, reflection which has very much uh, uh, from the French uh, uh, intellectual community which has very much helped us. The second one, I share it also with you because is the one uh, which was expressed by Sigmund Freud. You know Freud? You know, after World War I, uh, you know, you remember, four years, 10, 10 million people killed. European uh, countries, nations, slaughter each other. You know that, you remember. Killing each other, just, they are fighting just in front, cannon, bombarding, killing, 10 million. And at the end of 1918, at the end of the war, all intellectuals and thinkers were reflecting, but how come we civilized people, how come we had been slaughtering each other and this is a number of dead? And everybody was trying to find an answer. And Freud said something which has resonated very strongly with us. He gave his own answer why the European nations have been slaughtering each other. <clears throat> and that Touch very much on our, our, our own reflection. He said, I quote, it is not that we fell so low by killing each other, but it is that we never were so high as we fought. So what Freud was saying that we were not, we Europeans were not, were not as civilized and highly uh, sophisticated, humanly speaking, as we fought and the slaughtering of 10 million people killed in, 10, in four years' time was the, the, the proof of that. And evidently that, was, that joined very strongly and resonated very profoundly on our, our struggle. So what I would like now to do is really to move a little bit uh, further because uh, another experience of history which uh, joined in the same dynamic, the same questions, encounter and question, Always question mark is that when I joined UNESCO, okay, I was, I was sent to New York as director of the office for nine years. But after I returned to Paris, I was in charge of the UNESCO uh, Department of Intercultural Dialogue. So I launched with the colleagues and the scholars the concept of uh, uh, intercultural route, road. So we launched the Silk Road. The Silk Road was a, a program we launched, really. It came out uh, through our readings, our travel, our meeting in China, Japan, through different programs. The realization that the Euro European mass land, the Euro-Asian mass land, which is only, you know, one block of land, where you can find nation state, French, French, German, Chinese here, Japanese. But when you go much deeper, in the long memory of history, when you dig more profoundly on every aspect of life, from architecture to religion to food to whatever, they are all the product of interaction, of contact, of exchange. So this is from where we launch the concept of intercultural road, with the idea that, uh, which was not uh, very much promoted by a scholar, that the identity of all the people of the Euro-Asian mass land and their own history, their true history, was a result of three factors. The fact that people moved one day from one place where they were living, 
moved because of war, because of uh, fear, whatever, because of trade, whatever, or religion. They moved, and in their movement, they encountered other people. They interacted, and sometimes with war, because war is a, is a form of interaction. And last point, they, they were transformed, they changed. So this process led us to promote the concept of root, intercultural root, to use the notion of movement as a vehicle to understand interaction, the way people have been borrowing from each other in all fields, and how very profoundly identity is, is a plural, is, is a plural, is a, something which is composed of different trends, etc. And that we launched the program to deconstruct this uh, construction and help the, all the people of the Eurasian mass land uh, to uh, both assess and recognize their own identity, but also what they owe to other people. And certainly in this exercise, the issue of memory and the history is central. And we did it, I must uh, precise it, on a scientific approach, we created international scientific committee. We asked all countries, including the U.S., France, Senegal, not Senegal, China, Japan, to create in the Academy of Science and others, Russia, a Silk Road scientific committee. And one of our members who is here, Jean-Louis, was in one of our meetings, I don't know where, in, in Iran, I think, many years ago. So that was the first program we launched. And this program, I insist, is... Intercultural road, the Silk Road, the name Silk, you know, was given to the road by a German archaeologist because it was a most known and fascinating product, Silk, which came from China and is to, to Europe. And uh, they gave it the name of Silk Road. So we use that concept, and all governments agreed to participate to this program because they realized that we were going to deconstruct their identity. And we are going to challenge their memory and their writing and teaching of history. And we did it in a very interesting way in the sense that we didn't do it in the meeting room of Paris or London or whatever. But we organized international expeditions uh, in, the, in the Eurasian land. We went, we, the idea was to go through those routes. To go, it, uh, to do, to go through those routes with a multidisciplinary approach. So we constituted teams of uh, scholars comprising archaeologists, historians, geographers, poets, writers, uh, historians of religion, all of them together from different countries, with the notion that we are going to read from China to the West because that was the direction of the Silk Road. It started in Xiang, the former Shanghai uh, Chinese capital. Uh, to the west, west means Xinjiang and going Central Asia to, to, to Europe. And we, 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 we organized these international expeditions. The first one was from Xiang to Kashgar, Kashgar at the border of uh, Xinjiang, China and, uh, and uh, Pakistan. And the second one we organized was uh, the maritime Silk Road on the sea from Venice to Osaka. With all this idea, each country, each place is a place of study. The third one was in Central Asia, 
and the last one was the Buddhist root. But just to summarize this concept of uh, interculturality, the way history is written in each country concerned, visited, the way it is taught, the way it is memorialized and practiced was profoundly shaken by our approach. And here also emerged, uh, I mean, a strong argument comforting the notion that uh, identities and history are constructions, but they have been uh, nationally manipulated by the nation states in the form of bricolage, and that given the fact that all societies now are multicultural and all countries are really living together in a global world, it is highly important uh, to, to, to have the different countries profoundly understand what they owe to the to other countries, both ethnically, how they have been mixing up for centuries, culturally, religious, spiritually speaking, even food, whatever. So that was a very profound experience for us. And for example, I just give you one example to finish on this issue. When we visited the, the, the Xinjiang Uyghur region of West China, and we went to Dunhuang. Dunhuang is an extraordinary place with 400 Buddhist caves in the caves in the mountains. The Buddhists have built caves, extraordinary with Buddhist uh, statues and uh, pictures and painting, fabulous, you know, centuries back. When we visited the caves, uh, the, the head of the uh, Chinese delegation from the Academy of Science starting to tell us, yes, look at this picture in the painting wall. You see, this is really the true image of China. This is Chinese. But immediately one scholar uh, uh, was there from Iran Told to, told to said no, all of them we are all together. Please look carefully near the Buddha. You have one bodhisattva. Look, the, the the belt is wearing, and look his feature, his person. So it is in the Chinese territory, yes. But this picture is showing precisely that in the course of history, our people have been mixing up. So that kind of. Uh, intellectual and scientific exchange has been very rich uh, for all of us and help us in, uh, in the understanding that history is one of the key challenges of our, our contemporary world. Now, what I would like now to do, just to move a little bit ahead, because uh, we have launched from the Silk Road, and as uh, I must tell you, we have produced uh, literature books. Hundreds of seminars have been organized all along scientific communication. We have established uh, Institute of Research from uh, West East China and the, the Fujian province to the West, to Mongolia, to Iran, where researchers, scholars have been continuing to, to work together. And the second program we launched on the same when it's concerning you and the concern Birmingham, is a slave root program, which I launched in 1992. Uh, uh, Slave root program because we say that, we realize that we have to use the same approach on this huge and the tragic history of, of slavery. 
to deconstruct it, to try to understand why it happened, in what context it happened, how, how did it proceed, and what are the consequences, contemporary. So with two pillars, first, researching, documenting, objectively, what was slavery, but how it was uh, 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 implemented. But what are the uh, contemporary, the present day uh, consequences? So we launched the, the, the slavery program with the same kind of approach, scientific, putting people together. And interestingly, our, our philosophical moral uh, approach was that we are going to, to study it as an encounter and interaction. Tragic, violent, but encounter. Encounter between European, Africans, Amerindians in this uh, Western Hemisphere. And we are going to study it in the same dynamic of encountering movement, encountering movement of slaves from Africa to here. Encountering, encounter, violence, exploitation, transformation <laughs> of both slaves and enslaved, I mean, and, uh, and uh, so-called masters and the Amerindians, most of them have been slaughtered before. So that was a very profound also experience on the same, uh, uh, the same approach. And for, to do it, what we did was not to, 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 to implement it from Paris or whatever, but each county was asked to establish a slave route a committee and was asked to document the history, the traces, the expressions, the consequences of slavery in the different countries. From my country, Senegal, to the United States, to Colombia, Brazil, etc. And that was something very profound and interesting. And all countries joined. Some uh, dragged their feet a little bit. They were not very happy that we were touching on this story. And this is where also we realized that our approach was challenging the nation state, the way the nation history was taught. And it is when also we documented these two concepts of silence and invisibility, historical silence and the invisibility of the victims. But we put them at the heart of our, our program. So what I would like now to do is really to share with you one dimension in conclusion of uh, why uh, the writing and teaching of history has, is so central uh, now in shaping our identity. But it is so central in the way uh, some of the uh, very very complex uh, dimension and expression of our multicultural settings, because we are all living in multicultural setting, is very much uh, is to be to, to be deciphered. What I would like to uh, to use as an example is resistance to slavery, and uh, because the history of slavery, as the history of all domination, is first. The history of what I call the memorialist is the way the history is, has been written and taught. And we know that most of the history, the biggest picture of history has been written by the historian of the slave, slave, the slave masters. They are the ones who were writing, the slave and slave did not time, have time to write. And for a long time, 
that history was shaped in such a way that the most dramatic, terribly tragic, because the story of the Atlantic slave trade, one French historian called it, Jean-Michel Deveau, is a very eminent historian. He called it, I quote him, the most tragic history of mankind because of its duration and its, its consequences. And uh, uh, that the official history, as it was taught many years ago and written in national histories, was not giving the right picture. So our approach was, let us try to see, descendant of victim and masses, we are going to study to see what it is, because very profoundly, we cannot understand our societies in the Americas, in Africa, in Europe, without going to the heart of this very strong fact, which has shaped very profoundly uh, our, our life. And in the, in the deconstruction of the way history was written of the slavery, we realized that the picture given of the slaves were a picture of people, enslaved, I use the word enslaved, uh, who were so uncivilized and so unhuman that they were not even conscient of the domination they were victim of. Because they accepted to be taken and etc. That they did not resist because resistance is a human act. <laughs> you resist when you have a conscience, when you have values, when you say, no, I'm going to fight back. So when you read the history of slavery, I mean, until a long time, now it has changed. The notion of resistance was absent because the ideological pillar of slavery was racism. Here I must uh, remind you of two facts which are very interesting. Because some of our, our friends and the brothers uh, in the uh, Americas sometimes equate, and even generally speaking, people say slave black. No. Slavery is a universal uh, uh, practice. All people have been slaves of others at one moment of, the, of history, all of them. And even the word slavery came from the fact that for a long time, slaves were taken from a region called Slavoni in the actual Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. And the slavery came from there. And but what makes the racial dimension central is uh, the following thing. Slavery is a universal history. All people have been slaves. But the Atlantic slave trade had three fundamental characteristics. One, uh, the, the, its duration. It lasted four centuries at least. Secondly, and also it was a form of slavery, were punctual, you know, one week you dominate, you enslave, you etc. The second factor was the legality of slavery. Because Atlantic slave trade was organized, shaped, authorized, framed by the political power of Europe at the time, the kings and others of Europe. And it, and it was based on a, on a legal document, which are, it's called the Black Codes, French Black Code, British, uh, Spanish, etc. So it was uh, the state who organized it. It was official practice because the so-called discovery of the new lands uh, brought the idea that there are riches which we have to exploit. And we have, so the, the, the slave thing started 
with the idea of exploiting the so-called new lands. And this is why it was organized by the state. The third uh, characteristic of the Atlantic state is a racial factor. But it came in a very interesting way. Many people don't realize it. When the slave trade started, the galleons and the, the boats were taking people to the Americas and the Caribbean to exploit. Were just taking a workforce, whatever they could take it. White prisoners, poor people in Europe, did not have job or were fragile, were captured and put in the ship to come here. But slowly, those who were investing, and I remind you that the whole exercise was economical, exploitation, investment, getting uh, revenue from the investment, realized that the lands to be exploited were very close to another land, Africa. And the distance between Africa and those new land was very short. So the cost of investment was, was, was slower. And it is when they started to take, to buy slaves from the African feudal societies and kings who were practicing uh, the traditional slavery, which in a way exists in some way in my country still until now. Not official, but by name, by culture. But they started to, to, to collaborate with the kings of Africa, the feudal society's leaders, and to get from them slaves. And suddenly, after years, they realized that those being bought and taken had a black color. If Americas were in front of Asia, continentally speaking, it will be yellow people, but it was black, simply. It is when, at that moment, the realization that people being taken had a different color, that the intellectual and the so-called scientific construction of racism started. It is when uh, uh, European intellectuals, naturalists, philosophers, so-called, started to, 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 to elaborate concepts that those being enslaved were being enslaved because they are inferior in terms of culture, race, religion, whatever. So they are not human beings. So racism was elaborated as a way of justifying a practice which started before. It is when now this intellectual elaboration takes such a massive dimension that very profoundly the construction of, 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 of racism against the blacks, there is racism against others, Jews, etc., but this one against the blacks, took a very profound impact during those four centuries in European culture mindset, impregnated it very, very profoundly, and was the justification of uh, uh, of, 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 of slavery. But what I would like to share with you very briefly is what I call the cultural resistance uh, to slavery. And there also history has a very important place. Cultural resistance because, as I said first, there have been physical resistance. The issue of slavery from the first day of capture in the villages of Africa, transportation from the villages to the force in the coast, in the, in the ships of the uh, infamous Middle Passage and Shane like Sardine, uh, in the boats in the Americas, they fought back. They resisted, they fought back, slaughtered, thrown in the sea. They keep fighting, always fighting. 
that picture of, of, of fighting resistance is emerging now some, some, some years. But in my view, the one part of the story which is still to be written is the uh, cultural resistance. Because uh, what, in my view, saved, uh, make the descendant of slave, enslaved survive was not simply that they resisted physically, but the fact that they preserved their humanity and they use it as a force because they realized very, in a very early date that because of racism, because racism is something which hides you the reality. You see the other one through your racist glasses, tinted glasses. You don't see him as a human. The slave was taken as a workforce, the muscle, the teeth, everything. But because of the strength of, of, of racism, ideology, and culture, the, the masters did not see the slaves as a human. And the, the, the slave realized very early that that was a central point of resistance. And they, they never left the, the side of the master. They always observe him to know what he liked, what he did not like, how he behaved, how he dressed, whatever. And they realized that the master was using them as a muscle in the mine, in the cotton field, etc. But did not see their humanity. It is when the enslaved started this process of cultural resistance. It is when they realized on their gods, their myths, their spirituality, their very profound beliefs which they had because they came from, from countries where spirituality and religion exist. But this force, inner force was invisible to the master. This is when they, real, they, they rely on it. And they started to culturally resist. Cultural resistance in the following way. When you read the story of uh, uh, enslaved people, you realize that two factors. One, because of the black code, which gives the rules if the slave obey or if he escape, you can cut in hand, you kill him, whatever. The, and there was, uh, it is a dark force, four centuries of total uh, no right, no, no possibility of saying no. So uh, what the slave, the slave could not say no to the master. So what they devised as a strategy for cultural resistance was whatever the master has was wanted to, to impose on them, they, they culturally interverted it, changed it. Let me give you uh, one example. They changed it to preserve their humanity. For example, on the religious and the spiritual field, because it's an important uh, dimension. When slavery started, the Holy See, the main power of uh, Christianity at the time, did not preach for the liberation of slaves. But the Pope pleaded for the evangelization of slaves. And even they asked the slave to obey the master as a Christian value. And they will go to paradise in another life. But obeisance was something which was promoted. So the master, one, the ideology and the construction of uh, the rebuilding of the mindset of the uh, slave is in a life. It was to ask him to be a Christian, uh, believe in the Christ and uh, Virgin Mary. The slave could not say no. And they said yes, but you know what they did? What they did was to reinterpret the Christ and the Virgin Mary. 
to include the Christ and the Virgin Mary in their religious and spiritual world very profoundly and to even give them new identities like Orishas, some of the spiritual figures of spirit of, of West Africa, of Nigeria, Benin, Ghana, and in my, in my, in my, in my country. They, but they did not give the identity openly. They just say we are going to integrate the Christ and the Virgin Mary in our pantheon, spiritual pantheon. And integration, transformation, recuperation, this very subtle and profound process to recuperate their own humanity and reconquer it, led on the spiritual field to what we know now when you go to Brazil, you have this uh, uh, Christian, even minority Muslim, but you have candomblé. Candomblé is a spiritual practice in all Brazil, very profound, very strong. But when you go to candomblé ceremony, you realize that in those ceremonies, you have both African deities, spirit, and European, mixing up. When you go to Cuba, Santeria is a very strong uh, 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 spiritual practice. And uh, by the way, when the Pope visited uh, Cuba, uh, millions of people uh, uh, met him in, in, in Havana and chant psalms uh, and everything, and the Pope was very happy. But I, I, I know that some of the friends, one of my friends was in the Holy See, was even working with him, told him, but these people you see in the evening, they go to a Santeria ceremony. Because they were both Christian, but they have their spiritual practice, Santeria. Santeria also, when you, when you attend a ceremony of Santeria, it is mix, mixing spiritual figures. So this, this idea, this concept that when something is imposed to you, you have no way of, of deny of refusing it. You transform it is the process through which the enslaved very slowly recuperated their humanity. They hung to those inner values which the master could not say because of racism. And it is, in my view, it is that inner force which makes them survive. If not, they would have been died by mine, very, 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 very strong, very profound, deep vulnerability and the feeling that they, they cannot do. But they resist us intellectually, spiritually. One other example interesting. All this land, this hemisphere is a land full of, uh, you see, festivals, carnival. You, do you know where they come from? And they are all over, in the old Western hemisphere. Certainly, they come from Europe. But what happened is that during the time of slavery, the slaves were dispersed in the cotton field, in the different plantations, in the mines, separated, because separation was one of the principles of uh, domination of, of, of the slaves. Ask the masters to really organize this carnival and festival, give them some, some, some uh, every year, a moment of uh, organizing it and uh, having pleasure for the master, his wife and the children, etc. But because what happened is that they realized that this, this festival and the carnival were first the only moment where they can meet. They are separated all year. At that moment, they get together. Secondly, it was a moment when they can, getting together, share ideas in their condition of enslavement, what they were leaving, etc. But third, more important, it was a moment, and this is why, why, why culture has played such a strong role in the resistance, 
where they put really put in a very theatrical way their, their domination, their exploitation, their enslavement. They transform it into some kind of game, some kind of dance, some kind of theatrical expressions. It's very important the way when you are, uh, this psychoanalyst will tell you, when you have something very profound, deeper, uh, a suffering, you have to get it out. Get it out. Express it in such a way that you, you take all the negative dimension, you, you, you can put it, put it aside. So they, when, you, when you read the stories of this carnival and the festival, you see the way the enslaved were trying to imitate the master, the way the master was dancing or closing, etc., in a funny way, uh, to make it fun. But it was for them a way of li literally theatralizing their, their, their suffering, their condition of suffering. So a very subtle way. Last example, very interesting, very trivial, but people don't think about food. When you go to Brazil now, uh, during the time of slavery, on Sunday, the masters used to ask the slave to to, to, to kill the, the, the pork, you know, the, uh, to kill and prepare the, the meat and give the meat for the master's family and keep the bone because it is the only thing they deserve. What they did is also the same process. They took what was given to them, put it with something else and transform it. They put the bone in Brazil of the, of the pork. They put it with uh, 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 sea fruits, herbs, and they created feijoada. Feijoada is a national dish of, of Brazil. And that dish is a mixture, composition of the bones, of uh, sea fruits, of herbs. So this process of transforming what is being imposed to you in such a way that it is not seen as a resistance, but which allow you to preserve what was denied, your humanity, your intelligence, your heart. I think these are the foundations the strongest foundation of the survival of the enslaved. If not, I don't think they will have survived. But why is it so important? It is so important because one of the ideological construction of, of, of slavery, history of slavery, the history as written, is to depict the enslaved as a victim, only a victim, a passive victim. He accepted because of his inferiority, etc., as a victim. And this ideology of victimization, of inferiority, has been so profound and pervasive that literally it has enchained the mindset of many people, many enslaved, but many others kept, resisted throughout. But what, because uh, why the stake, the, the, the stake of rewriting or researching and documenting this cultural resistance is the only way to make uh, uh, known, documented, describe, I mean, decipher in word, with facts and figures that those called the descendant of enslaved were the descendant of resistance. Not only resistant with their muscle and arms, but those who have been resisting throughout centuries with their heart, their mind, their very profound, deep feeling, their humanity. So the whole process of cultural resistance is a process of reconquering a denied humanity. 
So this, this uh, dimension of the issue of slave is highly important because it is the one which help, can help to understand to, or to legitimate the struggle of the consequence of slavery. Because uh, one, one, one key f feature of slavery, uh, the society is coming from slavery, from history, is what I call the double, double map. When the map of, uh, of social, economical, political marginalization coincides with the ethnic map, when those marginalized, dominated, invisible, are ethnic, ethnically Indian or black or whatever. This is a product of a structural, very profound, long-term institutional uh, slavery. So fighting to get the two maps moving so that uh, those being marginalized are not only those coming from this uh, minority is one of the very important, uh, very, very important thing to, 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 to understand. So what is important is that it is only when the history of this cultural resistance, the reconquest of humanity, once humanity, the capacity of the enslaved to think, to feel, to create, and they did create in all fields, to resist everything from music to food to whatever, is very profound to know that it will not only strengthen the resolve of the, the descendant of, of, of enslaved, but all the communities relieving them, and the notion, the acceptance that those marginalized are not marginalized because of some intellectual or human inferiority, but because of story and the social structure of story and this terrible history of slavery. But what I would like to conclude by saying is that this dimension is in a way absent in the way uh, history is written, the history of slavery. I do think, even in a country like the United States, and when we launched the Silk Road, the Slave Road program, it lasted 10, 10 20 years, it still continues. And we try to, to read, compare the way slavery, which, as I said, happened all over, because we had in Africa also the Arab Islamic slavery, which started from the 9th century to, to the end of the Atlantic slavery. The Arab Islamic trail continued, which has brought Africans in Russia, in Sicily, in Turkey, all over. And from which, as you know, descendant like Pushkin, the Greek poet of Russia, is a descendant of slave, uh, and, and the same patron of uh, Sicily, San Benedetto El Moro, is a, is a slave, a black slave. People don't know it. 15, he was born in 1524 in Sicily, died in 1589. And he made miracles, and he was is a saint now, Saint Benedict. Just to show that 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 part of the story is, is still to be written. But why, where I would like to, to come back is that notion that the only way beyond the political legitimacy of combating for justice, for human rights, for equality, is documenting, diffusing that concept, that notion, that reality, that the enslaved have survived because they regain a humanity denied to them.
they are human. When you succeed in, uh, in uh, proofing, documenting it, you will, you will uproot one of the basis of racism, the notion of inferiority. Because the true history of, uh, of the struggle against, against slavery is uh, the story of uh, human, humanity reconquered. But my point here is that when you read the history books, this resistance, cultural resistance, which I call uh, cultural maroon, maroon resistance, maroon of the name of the maroon world escaping slavery, is not yet fully researched uh, and, and, and documented. So in conclusion, what I would like really to say is that that, that notion of, uh, of the, the centrality of history for old people, but the fact that history throughout time in all countries, that the national narratives which is being taught in school, which is changing now because of historians, those, those uh, stories are bricolage and constructions. And those constructions are uh, based on the notion, uh, that notion of nation state or the notion that uh, some groups, their memory, their history, their way of life is not worth being included in the national, in the national history. So the writing and teaching of history is a fundamental uh, 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 field to really uh, 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 transform the multicultural setting we are living in, all countries are multicultural, to transform the multicultural societies to intercultural society, to have interactions promoted. It's important. So in conclusion, because I see Bob moving a little bit there, <laughs> I, I, I give you uh, the, uh, an African proverb which, uh, uh, in my view, summarizes all this. Uh, and it summarizes the idea of uh, interculturality, but tension and racism. The proverb says this, in the forest, while the branches of the trees are fighting each other, their roots are kissing each other. <laughs> this is African proverb. The branches are diversity of race, religion, whatever, what is seen, external branches. They may fight each other because of history, because of ideology, because of whatever. We know that you, if you cut the branch, if you cut the races, or <laughs> you kill the tree. So what the proverb says is go to the roots. They are intangible, invisible. The roots are the universal values of love, compassion, which everybody shares. You go to the roots, which are kissing each other, interacting, and move to the, to, the, to the branches so that each branch, each community, each race will keep its vitality, its force, like a flower in a garden. So the challenge is in the trunk. And one central force in the trunk, which will make the branches, branches, strong, lively, is history. Sharing of memory. The writing of the history of everybody. Teaching of local, national, global history, etc. So this, I think, uh, uh, proverb, African proverb, uh, symbolize all the ideas I wanted to, to, to share with you. Thank you very much. Thank you.